You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people, mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 331. I'm your host, András Pinter, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Annika Harrison. See ya! Hello! <laughs> or hey son, hey son! Hey son, hey son! <laughs> yeah, always wait for that, I have to say. I did the pause there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're just going to have to do this until Pontus gets back and uh, yes. the three musketeers are together again. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, we, we'll do it like when, when you traveled and Pontus and I did the Vislat in the end together. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. say hey son, hey son, as long as it takes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Pontus... Come back, boom, Pontus, come back. Uh, yeah, no pressure. Sort everything out that is necessary for you to be able to come back. But we have a show prepared for our listeners. So um, yes. a couple of things that we want to get off our chest before we move on to the regular segments, right? So I hear that there is something going on in the realm of bullshit. Exactly. Because Nikhil Mukherjee, who we already interviewed on the show... And he's not a bullshitter. He's not a bullshitter. He's a okay, philosopher okay. and a skeptic from Germany <laughs> and um, head of the science board uh, of GWP. And his colleague Adriano Manino, they wrote a paper about bullshit and its logic. Mm-hmm. It's philosophical, so it's very interesting. And it's about argumentative bullshit. Mm-hmm. So everyone who's interested in that um, should read the paper. And we'll, of course, put the link to that in the show notes. <laughs> mm-hmm, good. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. But um, if someone wants to have a whole bunch of people, a lot of people <laughs> brought together in one place between the 9th and 11th of September, please come to the European Skeptics Congress. Uh, There will be a couple of philosophers as well among the speakers, but uh, there will be uh, medical doctors, there will be a couple of researchers, there will be some politically inclined people, especially dealing with policies. And uh, if you want to check it out, go to axel.org and uh, you will see a link to the European Skeptics Congress. But... uh, Also, of course, we will include the link in our show notes. The most important thing to mention, however, Mm -hmm. is that there's only a couple of days left to catch the early bird registration fee. So that means that a couple of euros come off your overall standard ticket price. And that will mean that uh, it's going to be about, um, not about, it's going to be exactly 150 euros until, well, when June ends that ends as well. So from July on, um, it's going to be 160 euros. Uh, I think it's still a reasonable price for a three-day event. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be packed with a lot of very interesting international speakers. And uh, you can hear their opinions. You can do networking. So do come over to Vienna and please do register. Do buy your tickets. You can do, do it online. Yeah, I encourage everyone to be there we will be there and (laughs) yeah the call is still on for the esp bingo yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) i think there might be apart from us buying your beer if you catch us at all three events the three events being the european skeptics congress qed and then skepticon 2022 the australian skeptics national convention so if you catch us at all three we'll definitely buy your beer 
But who knows, we might be coming up with other prizes for that. Uh, yeah, exactly. ESP bingo. And, and just a spoiler, Claire Klingenberg, you're not included in that list because you're usually traveling with us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I haven't thought of that. Okay. So, yes. <laughs> you're disqualified. Claire Klingenberg is disqualified. Yes. We will still give you a beer, though, if you want it. Definitely. It's going to be nice to catch up with her again. In person. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And she'll. it will be too late for this episode because it's tomorrow and the episode will only come on, out on Friday. But Claire Klingenberg is also giving a Skeptics in the Pub talk mm. online. So it will. you will be able to still see that once it's online. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in that. And there's a British Skeptics in the Pub guys exactly. who organize that. And uh, it can be followed on Twitch. I think exactly, yeah, and it. Yeah, um, I'm very interested in that, and it will be about the sunny sides and dark sides of being a skeptic, and I think Claire can talk a lot about that. Yeah. So yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes once it's uploaded on, um, like once the recording of the sh uh, of the talk is uploaded. Okay, but what about more on the entertainment side of things? Yeah, yeah. You're right. Like I, I, I think we should go from one ESC to another, right? Yes. <laughs> and that is that, yeah, no big surprise that the Eurovision Song Contest, like the one where they sing <laughs> next year, won't be held in the Ukraine. I was like, yeah, duh. Um, because even if the war ends until then, which we all hope, but we can't, of course, guarantee that. But even if it ends by then, it would still like be really unfair on a struggling country to be like, okay, yeah, now put all your money in that event. Yeah. So like that's just like no, it just can't be held in Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be a bit of a stretch yeah. on a recovering economy. I, I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah, exactly. And and organizers got together and concluded that it definitely can't be held there. Well, no surprise there. They think that the UK might step in. <laughs> Yeah, the UK comes to the rescue. <laughs> well, definitely someone should come to the rescue. Yes. I think uh, this should be over yeah. sooner than later. It's, uh, come on, it's the 21st fucking century. Yeah. So we should not be dealing with that kind of shit. We have a lot of other shit to deal with. Mm. All right. We do have uh, an episode to deal with as well, with all the usual segments and stuff. So why don't we crack on with that? Yes. <laughs> As usual, we will start with Trish, or This Week in Skeptical History. And it's probably not an exaggeration to include this event of someone being born in um, skeptical history, if that someone is British actor, director, comedian Ricky Gervais. Awesome. Yes, he is awesome. <laughs> But I have a feeling that probably not all of our listeners agree with that. And that could have something to do with his latest show, which is titled Supernature. And as the title suggests, first of all, he tries to convey the message that nature is amazing and mind-blowing in and of itself. And the supernatural things are much more of a laughing matter than 
something that that you should we should consider seriously. And have you seen the the show, his latest stand-up comedy? I don't think I did. <laughs> okay. Uh it's probably not as funny. It's more on the serious side than uh his previous ones. He's had many many comedy specials. The first one that was a big hit. I think it was back in 2003 mm-hmm. when he started his um worldwide stand-up career with uh, animals. And then came politics. Then the next one was um fame uh, followed by science and then humanity and this time it's called supernature and he's not only really funny but he's very critical about a couple of things one of them is pseudoscience so a lot of pseudoscientific claims are being criticized by him is not He's not special in that regard because we know several comedians who do that, who mock homeopathy, who mock other things that we usually consider quackery, like lots of uh, modalities of complementary and alternative medicine. But uh, he's probably best known for being an atheist. And he's got several awards for that, as well as his um, work on the screen. We probably all know him for being one of the creators of The Office, which was uh, taken to many, many different countries as uh, spin-offs of the original series. And uh, Extras was a big hit, but Derek and Afterlife were the two that made him an absolute worldwide superstar star as well as him hosting the um, Golden Globes several times and that was quite controversial because he doesn't shy away from criticizing privileged people those topics that he touches on are socially speaking very controversial at times so um, he's making fun of everything and everyone and I do subscribe to that attitude Mm -hmm. because he doesn't try to be rude he tries to be funny and he often says that nothing should be off limits when it comes to comedy ricky gervais doesn't try to be offensive he just thinks that for comedic effect everything could be used and now he's being called out for making a couple of jokes about transgender people and about transgender issues it's just If we draw a circle around a couple of topics, it easily leads to censorship. So if we're not ready to make a couple of jokes about things, then they become something like a sacred cow that nobody can touch. And that doesn't really help public discourse either. Yeah, I think it's it's important to, in German we would say, to not kick down. So like... If, for example, me as a white person, if I always, and I say always, joke and would mock black people, then that would be very wrong. (laughs) That's right. And I'm not saying black people are down or anything, but black people are discriminated against in our world. And that's what I mean by kicking down. Yeah, exactly. That like, if people are discriminated against and I'm always mocking them, then that's wrong. But if I'm pretty much starting a discourse... And also, like, (laughs) we don't want to just be silent on everything because that also would lead to a weird and distorted discourse. (laughs) Exactly. And that can lead to self-censorship as well. So if uh, I think that something is funny, his job is to be funny. So if it's funny, it should be uh, received as a joke because he's also well known for being an animal rights activist, gay rights activist. He's very outspoken about gay marriage and in very much in support of gay marriage and stuff. So I don't think he can be criticized for his actual views on stuff. 
and he's a um, patron of the British Humanist Association. So things like that. He's speaking up and campaigns for a secular state and humanism and human rights. So that includes things like transgender issues. So as a person, probably know exactly where he stands. So uh, I think he... Even though he doesn't necessarily use that word very often, he is a skeptic. He's an atheist, he's a humanist, and uh, I think he's funny as hell. And if you see some of his work, like Afterlife, I think that is one of the most beautiful stories, human stories, that has ever been written for television. So be intelligent about things like that. Know exactly when a person is just making a joke and don't take it personally. Don't take it too hard. Mm-hmm. It's a joke. It's a freaking joke. And I think that's what it is. It's also a big, big difference if, um, like, for example, I'm very privileged in a lot of ways. Yes, we are. Yeah. But um, I would say I'm a, I'm a fat woman. So I would definitely encounter body shaming and fat shaming in my life. And I can say it's a big difference if, in regards to like my hurt feelings <laughs> or whatever. If someone makes a joke about fat people and how stupid and lazy they are, or if someone makes a joke about like how the society views us and our um, expectations to be perfect and and then that regard. Like it's a big difference. And I think Ricky uh, Gervais has the good angle in that regard. Mm-hmm. She's like, he's not mocking the person itself, but more like what we think would should happen or would happen. <laughs> yeah, he's been criticized for fat shaming as well. But first of all, he's admittedly overweight as well. So he mocks himself for being overweight too. So... I think that's a very important starting point. So someone like a fitness guru um, joking about fat people, that's very, very different from someone who's a bit chubby himself. I mean, <laughs> it's it makes a huge difference. Yeah, so I think he's in a, in a pretty good position in, the, in that regard. Mm. So without any uh, further discussion about that i think <laughs> we agree that it's worth mentioning that on the 20 because i haven't i haven't said what the date was on the 25th of june 1961 <laughs> he was born and uh i'm i'm very happy about that fact that he is <laughs> yeah. with us but it's unbelievable that he's that means that he's turning 61 years old that's unbelievable <laughs> yes All right so happy birthday to ricky gervais happy birthday and if you allow me um i could close the twish with a quote <laughs> i know it's your segment but okay i just remembered this quote by german um satirist and political author and also normal author kurt tucholsky and he said what may satire do everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah so satire is allowed and political satire and humor yes like yes it's allowed to do everything anything yeah. you know <laughs> yeah just one one thing that I forgot to mention is that on the 3rd of September 2019, uh, he was awarded the Re- Richard Dawkins Award, which is not necessarily in, in skeptical circles, it's not necessarily that much of a positive thing, but a lot of our skeptical friends were there, uh, and that conversation was definitely worth uh, remembering. I was there meeting a lot of our skeptical friends, and he got it for the values of secularism and rationalism upholding scientific truth wherever it may lead as uh, the recognition said so that is an event that i remember very fondly at london's troxy theater amazing (laughs) yeah it was all right so 
Moving on to the news. Yes, and in the news, I would like to talk about SDGs, not STDs, no, <laughs> SDGs. S Ooh, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> Because these sustainable goals, that's what SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals, stand for, um, they were formulated 2015 by um, leaders of 193 countries, and they aim to free humans from poverty and to heal and secure the planet. There are 17 bigger goals and 169 targets and also measures of the progress of these SDGs. And the goals are pretty much a roundhouse kick. <laughs> so they target poverty, <laughs> hunger, health, education, gender equality, energy, economic growth, sanitation, social inequality, infrastructure, sustainable consumption, climate protection, biodiversity in oceans and forests, and peace and justice. So just a little goal, you know, it's just like <laughs> micro management. <laughs> For example, what they wanted to do is to halve the proportion of people in poverty by 2030. The UN even announced an international decade of action for achieving these goals. And the SDG coordinators are found everywhere. Like some, some even have like actual positions for that in some countries. The question now is, do these goals actually change anything and influence actions of political players and policymakers or not? And to find that out, a team of 61 colleagues from all around the world analyzed more than 3,000 academic studies that scrutinized the aspects of these goals. And it's pretty sad what they found out because most of the goals is like all talk and no action. Aye. Yeah. <laughs> often, like now policymakers often refer to the goals. And um, of course, the goals are supported by all UN organizations. But there were almost no changes in policies, in laws or in institutions, no new governmental programs to, to further this. And uh, yeah, it pretty much just led to a change in discourse. Mm -hmm. So people will point to the SDGs and will say, like, yeah, yeah, it's because of our goals. But there was no change in how the government operates and no really new things established. The problem is that this may backfire. If people think there are broken promises, then this can destabilize the trust in, in the UN and also in, in policymakers. So it's a bit sad because these are important goals. Mm -hmm. They have to be reached. But if you only hide behind it and don't use it as an actual will to change and only as maybe like an inspiration that, that is like somewhere on the wall, but that you don't really aspire to reach, then they, they are more dangerous than they do good, basically. Yeah. On a very similar note, actually, <laughs> we can talk about um, healthcare as well. Mm. So obviously, we know that in every healthcare system, uh, we encounter different medical treatments every day, right? And uh, well, there is a little bit of a, t a tendency in people who are questioning the decisions that uh, their doctors make about uh, their treatments and, and all that. But... Um, usually the community of science and uh, skepticism we tend to believe somehow that most of the medical treatments that we have and we encounter in our everyday lives are based on very good quality high quality evidence right yeah. and uh, that is what uh, we assume to drive policy making as well when it comes to healthcare systems 
And there is a very important tool and uh, collection of um, quality assessments as well. And that is called the Cochrane Library. So the Cochrane Library is based on the trust that we put in evidence and how informed decision can be made by assessing the evidence and the actual efficacy of different treatments, as well as, of course, what negative side effects can emerge in any kind of treatment. So this is why the Cochrane Library is very, very important and is owned by Cochrane and published by Wiley. And, uh, well, the Cochrane reviews tend to go very, very deep when it comes to analysing all the available evidence. So we're talking about systematic reviews and meta-analyses as well. Now, since the Cochrane Library has been launched doing all the rigorous analysis of all the available evidence, now we have a very large sample of all the treatments tested and reviewed by Cochrane between 2008 and 2021. And the results are shocking. So earlier results uh, suggested in the early 2000s, for example, that between a quarter and a half of all treatments are supported by high-quality evidence. That was still um, somehow considered to be, well, suboptimal, but it was still an acceptable level. However, in 2020, there was a more rigorous estimate and it was published in the Journal of uh, Clinical Epidemiology, and it came out with a very disturbing number of 10% of medical treatments being based on high-quality evidence. Now, that is something that shows that there is a problem. So now, the latest review that included 1,567 healthcare treatment studies showed that the number is actually about 5%. That means that about 95% of treatments that we regularly use are not based on high-quality evidence in support of their benefits. And what's even more shocking than that is that only 33% analysed by Cochrane Reviews shows any kind of reported harms or uh, negative side effects. So, to say it in plain English, we have no clue as to most of the medical treatments that we use are actually effective. Mm. And we have no clue of how much harm they can potentially do. And that is really shocking. I mean, there is a system incorporated back in 2008 when they started grading the quality of evidence in support of any kind of treatment and their efficacy. But even if we consider not only good quality, high quality evidence, but medium quality evidence, Hmm. it's still under 50%. So the amount of high and medium quality evidence for everyday treatment is below 50%. And I think we should let that sink in. Yeah. (laughs) And we should start thinking about how to deal with this. So, obviously, it has to be dealt with and it has to be discussed in detail in the scientific community. So, not necessarily in public. So, I'm not sure it's the right way to put this out in the public. I mean, transparency is good and transparency we do support. However, you need to be able to understand what the meaning of this is in order to get involved in the conversation. Mm. So what we need to do is 
Well, try to do more high quality research. And the quality of the research should not be determined by the, the researchers themselves, because obviously they try to upscale their research, right? Mm. So that's pretty important as well to get rid of that effect. But in order for everyone, all the, the stakeholders, doctors, patients, anyone, or the healthcare system that pays for the treatment, we all can make informed decisions. But informed decisions can only be made if we know when the efficacy of a treatment is supported by high-quality evidence and we know what negative side effects can occur as a result of a treatment. So we need to do more research. We need to get more funding for research that is set out to determine all that. And uh, we need to continue that discussion that evidence-based medicine and science-based medicine should focus on high-quality research and don't settle for shitty research papers and, and shitty protocols. We need to know. We need to know what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Expert opinion is not always objective. So we need to take that into account as well. Yeah. And there's an interesting thing turning up in Italy's um, River Po, which itself is very hilarious, the name uh, for, for me <laughs> as a German, because in German, a Po is a butt. <laughs> okay. So... That's why Germans love the name Po for a river. But the river Po is on a record low. And this is, of course, problematic because Italy relies heavily on, on the water um, for farming, for drinking water and for um, hydroelectric water plants. And the water levels of Po are so low that the shipwreck of a World War II ship um, that sank 1943 has now resurfaced. Wow. And it's a, an interesting sight. Like, I saw a photo um, in the article that I will also put in the show notes. And it looks pretty interesting. Like, you can see the shape of the ship. And this barge transported wood during war times and is usually hidden beneath post waterline. And uh, now it's the first time that people can actually see the barge. And it's big. Like, wow. you can see people beside the barge and it's not a small ship. And it's been resting since the 1940s. Yes. Wow. Yes, yes. And normally in dry conditions, you could see the bow of the boat. But now you see the whole vessel and that <sighs> the photo looks pretty dramatic. <laughs> okay. Photographer Alessio Bonin said that um, the main worry used to be that the river could flood. And now it's that the river is disappearing. So... You can see that, like, as fascinating as it is to see all the treasures and all the history hidden in the rivers, it, it is also a threat to pretty much our way of life. And that also came around, of course, because of the climate crisis. There was very little precipitation last year and above average temperatures. Um, so as, as interesting as the history nerd in me finds that, I would wish the Poe to be a bit fuller. I think. Yeah, but there's a lot of changes like that coming in the future. Yeah, and, and worse yeah, too. Yeah, so. so climate change is happening mm -hmm. and we're not doing enough to, to stop that no. and and turn it back. Mm -hmm. Well, turning back is, is probably unrealistic, a goal anyway, but uh, stopping the change or slowing down the change, that should be a priority. And it's coming, it's getting there, but it's happening very, very slow. Mm -hmm. All right, a completely different topic that I brought from Hungary. 
And occasionally here, I talk about what the Hungarian Competition Authority does. And, um, well, we often upload, I mean, by, by we, I mean the Hungarian skeptics, we often upload the decisions that they make about stuff uh, when they start investigating stuff, because there is a lot of cases of, uh, well, conning um, consumers and um, they are watching out for that because if someone gets an unnecessary and an unfair advantage business advantage by scamming people with something like weird claims about their um, food supplements that um, occasionally the sellers claim that these food supplements are uh, helpful in treating different di- diseases obviously they cannot say that they treat the diseases because then that would be different regulations apply to them because then they would be considered medicine and medicinal products have a completely different way of uh, getting all the documents necessary for marketing them but food supplements are very easy to put on the market but um, there is a massive competition with uh, other sellers obviously as to who can get away with more bullshit about their product so (laughs) now the latest um, family of products is the so-called challenge food supplements and they are being marketed by a Hungarian company called Manker Beauty uh, LTD and the owner and um, director of that company is um, an interesting celebrity in Hungary by the name Tibor Kosa and <laughs> interestingly he used to be a singer so this is how he got fame he was a singer a songwriter and a musical producer and all that but then he realized that um, his fame can be used for marketing purposes and he started um, selling these products and now the Hungarian Competition Authority is investigating his uh, products because of claims that are not necessarily in line with regulations. What claims are they? With some products the claim is that they can reduce the occurrence of uh, heart diseases and uh, even different types of cancer and the other claim is that they They can help you in losing weight and keeping your weight at balance. Obviously, they add that it happens only when you follow a certain diet as well. But this all falls into the category of, well, borderline health claims. So if that turns out to be the case, so if the Hungarian Competition Authority determines that they are doing something unlawful, uh, then they're going to be getting a fine. So we are keeping an eye out for that. It would be interesting because there are several very, very ridiculous overarching claims uh, regarding their products and what they can do. So no, it's a food supplement. Don't claim it cures diseases, please. It's bogus. Yeah. All right. So, um... I could have nominated them for being really wrong, but let's wait for the competition authority to determine whether they have broke the law. But until then, I'd like you to enlighten all of us about who's been really wrong lately, Annika. Yeah, in regards to our favorite award ceremony, (laughs) our dear friend Prince Charles opened a conference on integrative medicine and he said, and I quote, and it's a long quote, 
I know a few people have seen this integrated approach as being in some way opposed to modern medicine. It isn't, but we need to combine this with a personal approach that also takes account of our beliefs, hopes, culture and history. It builds upon the abilities of our minds and bodies to heal and to live healthy lives by improving diet and lifestyle. End quote. Ugh. So, <clears throat> let's unpack this a bit. Despite him acknowledging that not everyone agrees on his idea of integrated medicine, he still is not right. That's right. <laughs> so, yes, in some ways they are opposing. <laughs> and yes, the placebo effect does exist. But, you know, <laughs> so short and sweet... For distracting from medical duty to constantly improve conventional medicine and for promoting this branch of so-called healthcare, Prince Charles and his advisor, Dr. Michael Dixon, received this week's prize for being really wrong. Yeah, well deserved. Yeah. He's a future king, so he's not king yet, but you know what he's king of? Already now, he's the king of bullshit. Yeah. That's definitely the case. So, um, yeah. I think he should be crowned on that basis. <laughs> his royal quackeriness. <laughs> his royal quackeriness, yeah. His royal quackness. <laughs> quackness. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you very much, Annika. And that brings us to the end of the show. But before we leave you with this episode, I think we need a quote. <laughs> Yeah, and the quote is by Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard, who lived from 1813 to 1855. And he was also our twish topic in episode 324. Mm -hmm. And his quote is, There are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. Short and sweet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> and with that I think we concluded this episode so thank you very much Annika for joining me today thank you many many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in please keep doing so and until next week goodbye tschüss bis lat hey do <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe The shape of the ship. That's a nice expression. The shape of the ship. <laughs> the the shape hip. <laughs> ship shape. Sorry, could you say... <laughs> again. Siri again. <laughs> I should not be making very large hand gestures while I speak and record at the same time. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> okay.